Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 48. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast. Before we start with the interview, I wanted to pass along. In May, I have two more leadership coaching slots available. If you're interested in taking your leadership game to the next level, I am available for one-on-one personal coaching. We can do that via Skype. If you're close enough, we can do it in person. You can go to my website, doseofleadership.com, and click on the coaching menu item, and you can learn more information. What I can offer to you, i got 25 years of practical leadership experience, both on a personal and professional level. I've seen a lot of things, and I'm willing to share them with you and help you become the leader that you are meant to be. Remember, like I've always said on this podcast, we all have an opportunity and an obligation to become a leader. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what your title is, we are all capable of being better leaders. Again, thanks for tuning into the show. I appreciate all your support. I love the feedback. I'm getting more and more, and I try to answer every single one. In fact, I'm committed to answering every single email, every single Twitter or Facebook message that I receive. Again, thanks for your support, and here's the interview. Well, I'm excited to have on the show today Jim Thompson. Jim Thompson is the founder and chief executive officer of Positive Coaching Alliance. It's a nonprofit formed at Stanford University with the mission to create a movement to transform the culture of youth sports so that all youth athletes have a positive character-building experience. For more than 10 years, Jim was the director of the public and global management programs at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, where he also taught courses in leadership and nonprofit issues. U.S. News named Stanford's public management program the top nonprofit business management program in the nation in 1992. He has a degree in elementary education from the University of North Dakota, a master's in public affairs from the University of Oregon, and an MBA from Stanford. Since its founding in 1998, Positive Coaching Alliance has developed a network of more than 130 trainers across the U.S. who have delivered 10,000-plus workshops for youth, sports leaders, coaches, parents, and athletes. Jim was named one of the top 100 sports educators in the U.S., and uh, Dan Doyle, ILS Executive Director, described PCA as the finest organization of its kind in the United States. Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Are you ready to give us a dose of leadership today? I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you. Well, you know, I love talking about sports. We were talking in the pre-interview here just a second ago. You know, I haven't had a lot of sports figures, or I had did have Coach Bill Snyder on here, but sports is so analogous to leadership and life in general. But what I love about what I read about Positive Coaching Alliance, and I'd like you to fill in the gaps, is this whole idea of a double coaching philosophy, where it's about not only winning, but it's also creating life lessons, and that's what's so great about sports. Fill in the gap. Tell me about the the kind of the the birth of PCA and and how you got to where you're at. Well, there were two. Uh Two things that happened to me several years apart. One was, uh, as a young young person, about 20 years old, I got my first job working for a school called the Behavioral Learning Center in St. Paul, Minnesota, working with very disturbed behavior problem kids. And uh, I was trained in what I would call a relentlessly positive approach. We set limits for the kids. They couldn't just run wild, but we uh, had them set positive goals, and every time they did something right, something positive, they got reinforced. And and these kids just bloomed. I, I think of, you know, if you you have a potted plant in your house and you go away and you don't have anybody come in 
water for a week and come back and it's all droopy. That's the way these kids were. And they got this, uh, and I really like the term dose of, of leadership. They got high dosage of uh, positivity and they just bloom like a plant blooming when it's just been watered. Now, fast forward a few years later, I'm a first-year business school student at Stanford, and my son is going out for sports for the first time. I'm not coaching or anything, but I go to his practices, and, and I see so much negativity, so much uh, well-meaning parents and coaches who are doing what I know from my training have, is exactly the opposite of what you do to get the best out of kids. So those two things kind of coalesced. It took me a while to, to screw up my courage to start Positive Coaching Alliance. But eventually I did, and, and our goal really, you know, in, in four words, better athletes, better people. We want to use sports not as a, you know, virtual mini-me of professional sports. We want youth sports, high school and youth sports, to be uh, an opportunity to develop better athletes, better people. You know, it's funny, when you look back at sports, they say the kind of the turn of the century or when collegiate sports really started taking off, and even, you know, the Little League sports in the, in the early part of the of the 20th century, you know, it seemed like that was really was everybody understood that that was what the meaning of, of the, or the kind of the great value of sports were. They really were stepping stones for life lessons. I started playing little league baseball, probably uh, early seventies, mid seventies. And even then I remember back and I had a great coach and my dad was, was a great coach and he helped along the way. And, uh, and I had, but the other teams, I remember just seeing some of these coaches and some of the parents and it was just, abhorrent behavior. I suppose it's existed all all along, but it seems like as we've gotten through the culture, and I'm curious to see what you think about this, have we have we digressed or have we gotten better, do you think? It's just this kind of win-at-all-cost mentality seemed to be prevalent even in the 70s when I was playing Little League. Well, um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a patchwork. Um, the organizations that Positive Coaching Alliance has been working with, and it's more than a 1,000 over the last uh, 12 years or so, um, you can see the difference. I had somebody tell me the other day that, um, you know, her, her kids are uh, on a team and they're, it's part of Positive Coaching Alliance and the coaches are double goal coaches. This idea that the first goal is trying to win on the scoreboard. Second, more important goal is that, that you're trying to develop better people using sports and teach life lessons. And she said, you can just tell the difference. Uh, when when my, uh, my son's team uh, goes out there, their coaches are uh, you know, positive, and uh, they set a really good example, but you couldn't believe some of the other behaviors. I think part of it goes back to macroeconomics, as strange as that may be. Uh, when I was growing up, and I'm quite a bit older than you, I, nobody ever worried about losing jobs. I mean, I never knew anybody whose dad got laid off or a you know, company went out of business, moved, it, moved jobs offshore. Uh, there just was a lot of economic security. So, you know, parents didn't necessarily care that much about sports. They knew their, you know, their job was secure. Their kids could go to college and, um, and get a good job. But, you know, last 20, 30 years, uh, the world has become, uh, a much more, uh, competitive place economically. And so I think whether they know it or not, a lot of parents go to youth sports events and with a lot of anxiety. You know, is my kid going to be successful? Is he going to get into good college? Is he going to get a good job? And so they bring that, that anxiety to the, the, the ball field or the, the, uh, the soccer pitch or the basketball court, and it kind of bubbles out as a win-at-all-cost philosophy. The idea being that 
um, you know, if my kid doesn't do well in sports or if he's mistreated uh, unfairly by the coach or by the official, that that's tied to how successful he's going to be in life, which isn't true at all, but, uh, but people feel that way. So that's why it's so important that we get sports right in this country. It's a major institution, and uh, if we get it right, we can produce positive contributors and ethical leaders that our society really needs. Well, I love I love your national goals that you have. Again, you you hit on it again. They replace the win at all cost coaching with the double goal coaching, like you said, and, and those are the two goals of yeah, surely. Excuse me, certainly wanting to win and get on the scoreboard. But the second part is teaching those life lessons. But I also like too what you have on there is honoring the youth sports organization leaders to create a culture in which we honor the game. Right, that's part of part of your mission too. Right. Yeah, so we break down, exactly, we break down the three, a double goal coach has those two goals. We are trying to get better as athletes and win on the scoreboard, and we are trying to produce better people by teaching life lessons through sports. But there are three elements to that. One element is what we call the ELM tree of mastery, where ELM stands for E for effort, L for learning and improvement, and M for bouncing back from mistakes. And research from sports psychology shows that if you coach for mastery, uh, if you tell your players, you know, we want to win, yes, but if you give me your best effort every time, if you continue to learn and improve even if we're losing, and if you learn to bounce back from mistakes, develop the, the mental toughness to be able to bounce back from mistakes quickly, uh, the Elm Tree, E-L-M, we're going to be, I'm going to be proud of you, and you're going to be successful. But Elm Tree of Mastery is the first level. Uh, the second level is, is really about making your teammates better. It, it functions around the... Um, the emotional tank. Everybody has an emotional tank like the gas tank in a car. And if your gas tank is empty, you're not going to go very far. If your emotional tank is drained, you're not going to play very well. So uh, we teach coaches how to fill kids' emotional tanks and even better, how to get kids to fill each other's emotional tanks. Because if you have a team where the, the coaches and players are all filling each other's emotional tank, they're noticing the positive things that they're doing, they're thanking them for the contributions, they're endorsing them for who they are and the fact that they believe in them, they believe they can get better. That's a team that kids just can't wait to go to practice and yeah. they love challenges because they know they're going to be supported. And then the third piece is the one you just mentioned, the roots of honoring the game, where roots stands for respect for the rules, opponents, officials, your teammates, and yourself. And that's, that's absolutely crucial. We just have so much... Uh, bad behavior in sports, in business, in government, you know, or people just not being respectful of each other. Uh, and I, I actually think, uh, you know, conflict, argument, disagreement can be a really positive thing when it's done in a way that's respectful. Just like competition is a good thing when you have respect for your opponent. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, when you're saying all these things, I'm just thinking back, and certainly the the kind of the idol of Mon Idols has to be John John Wooden. I mean, that everything you're talking about, he emulated, didn't he? John, yeah, you know, I, I heard stories about John Wooden that he never talked about winning. It was all about mastery, getting better. And actually, yeah, yeah, sure, he would. You know, how could he not talk about winning? He won 11 NCAA titles in 13 years, which is like unheard of. But I, I. I've talked to a bunch of his former players, and they say he never talked about winning. He wanted to win. He's a very, compet very competitive guy. In fact, I have a picture of him I use in my talk sometime. When he's probably about 45 years old, and he's just 
incredibly intense. Um, and I use that as an example to say, you know, intensity is not the problem. Every great coach I know, every great leader is intense. Right. But there's a difference, there's a difference between intensity and negativity. And that's the key. So we, we have come to see John Wooden as this 92 year old, very friendly, uh, grandfatherly type. He was on fire. He wanted to win. He was, uh, intense and competitive, but he was incredibly positive. And that's why he was so successful. One of the reasons. Yeah. And it's so great too. When you, when you talk, talk to those players who under his steed, you know, they all talked about the life lessons that they learned. Maybe at the moment they didn't realize they were life lessons, but man, they all were changed men after working with him. And that's what's so awesome. Well, yeah, the, 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 the good news is you don't have to choose between winning and building better people. That's right. Sometimes sometimes you do. Once in a while, uh, you know, you've got a player who's got a sore arm and you think, oh boy, we can't win without this guy pitching. Uh, but if you do the right thing, you don't, you don't risk an injury, so you don't play them. But 99% of the time, you don't have to choose between excellence and, uh, you know, taking care of your players. Uh, you do things the right way, and this is one of the things John Wooden talked about. You do things the right way, then winning becomes a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Not what you're after. What you're after is mastery. You want to get better and better and better, and the byproduct is victory. You know, and Lombardi was kind of that way too, wasn't he? He's a little different than Wooden, but he kind of had that same elements. I mean, Lombardi was kind of well known for that intensity and the mastery piece, the pursuit of perfection, knowing that you're never going to be perfect, but we're going to we're going to do the damnedest to do everything to get perfect, right? Well, I think the I think um, Vince Lombardi is is um, I think people have the wrong idea about him. You know, he he was quoted as saying, uh, "Winning is everything; it's the only thing." And um, you know, you know, late in life. Uh, before he died, he said, you know, I wish I never said that. People misunderstood it. Um, you know, again, this idea of mastery. Um, we, you know, one of the things we talk about is why is a mastery environment better for kids? Why do they perform better if you focus on effort learning and bouncing back from mistakes rather than focusing on victory? And it all goes back to the fact that you can't control the outcome of the game. Yeah. And what may, what makes us anxious is the lack of control. Can we control how hard we work, the effort piece? Yeah. Can we control how much we learn yep. and improve? And can we learn to uh, control our response to mistakes? To have a, you know, it takes a little work to be able to flush mistakes and move on. But all three of those things are under a kid's control. So when a coach focuses on that and says, you know, we want to win, but we can't control winning. I'll tell you what we can control. We can control how hard we work. We can control how much we're going to learn, and we can control how we respond to mistakes. And the kids have a sense of ease knowing that they can control that. So the coach is asking them to do things that they can actually control that then lead to a good outcome. I love that. What a great common sense message. I mean, that is so true. I mean, you can you know focus on the things you can control, we get so wrapped up in winning, we get so anxious that we're going to lose, but you're right. But, uh, the, you know, they just, I, I some, go ahead. I, just, I, sometimes, I sometimes kind of jokingly say, um, you know, we're, we're going to, the, the one thing that all the research in sports psychology, it's just one big lesson for sports psychology. And that is exactly what you just said. Focus on what you can control and force yourself to block out the things you can't control. And it's all about that. If you focus on your effort and not worry about, oh, my God, that team is so good, 
or you know, I'm in the batter's box and what if I make an out as opposed to um, all I'm focusing on is the ball. Uh, sometimes sports psychologists talk about having an empty head. You're, you're yeah. in the batter's box and the only thing that exists for you if you're really dialed in is that ball and your bat and you're just, you're not thinking about, oh, what if I lose? Or you're not thinking about, wow, if I hit this ball and drive the winning run in, I'm going to be a hero. You're not thinking about that. You have the mental toughness, the discipline to push those thoughts away, just like a muscle, and all you're doing is focusing on the ball. There's a great example quite a few years ago now where UCLA softball uh, team, Sue Enquist, who was the, the coach then, she really focused on uh, quality at-bats and focusing on what you can you can control. And she had a pinch hitter. I believe she was a freshman. She, she was, it was a, uh, might have even been a championship game. And she was batting. I mean, she was put in in a real crucial situation. She got, I think, like a double to drive in the winning run with two outs. And, and afterwards, they asked her about it. And she said she really didn't know what the score was and she didn't know what the, how many outs there were. That information is gonna, just going to distract me. Yeah. <laughs> All I want to do is see the ball and hit the ball. That's awesome. You know, I just it was sitting there talking and thinking about it. I was struck by and thinking about. It. I think his name was um, uh, Bill Courtney. I think with that uh, documentary kind of slash film that won the Academy Awards, uh, Undefeated, with that Manassas football team. I don't know if you've seen. Okay. Yeah, have you seen that? Have you seen that show? I have not seen that. No, it's been recommended to me, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you got to see it. I mean, it highlights everything that you're talking about here. And what really struck me out in that struck struck me in that movie. There's a part in there. Um, you know, and, and of course, the, the quick kind of backstory is this, you know, this team was kind of well known for having this huge losing record, you know, and this coach is an entrepreneur and he comes and he volunteers coach him and his, his uh, business partner. And, you know, they don't get paid to do it. They just volunteer. And anyway, they started getting a winning record and they started to go to state for the first time. And, and it was interesting to watch them in the, in the, when they lose. And that to me is so, um, telling. And I, I always, I'm kind of, when I watch March Madness, I think about that. I look at the reactions of how the coaches and the players, when they actually lose, when they get it to that level. And I'm always impressed by, you know, how people hold themselves when they're in defeat. And to me, that is the mark of great leadership and great coaching is if they can hold themselves high with pride and dignity, you know, and not, you know, kind of lose it either on a sad side or an angry side. And that movie does this and he, he, he reinforces it with the kids always. It's the character of a, of a person is shown not in the good times, but down when you're down to the dumps and the defeat. I highly recommend you watch that movie. It's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to now. Um, the, um, I think you're absolutely right. Lots of times, uh, people, you know, see a coach on TV and they'll be screaming at their players or a player makes a mistake and they, they go ballistic. And, and I think there's kind of an idea that that's toughness, you know, boy, you gotta be tough on a player. That's not toughness. That's weakness. Yeah. Um, what I'll tell you what toughness is. Lindsey Gottlieb, who is the the Cal women's basketball coach, I'm a Stanford guy and big Stanford women's basketball coach, uh, Tara Vanderveer. But Stanford lost. They didn't make the final four, and and Cal made it. So I'm I'm rooting for them. And she, uh, Brittany Boyd, who's a sophomore point guard for Cal, in the the first round of the final four, they're in the you know they're one game away from playing for the championship of the country. Uh, first time for Cal ever. And uh, Brittany Boyd comes down and twice in a row throws the ball away. Mm-hmm. And the second time she does it, she turns to, her, to Lindsay Gottlieb, her coach, and Lindsay Gottlieb is is making a motion, and she's saying to her, "You're okay. You're okay. You're good. Don't worry." 
the next time they come down the floor, Brittany Boyd drains a three. Now, mm. would she have done that if her coach had gone ballistic on her? I don't think so. Yeah, you're right. Um, and so that that discipline to be positive when your players need it the most, uh, you know, we we want all of our kids to have that kind of uh, uh, that kind of lesson. And the reason we don't have it, one reason, is because it's difficult. It requires discipline. It's it's easy to lose control and, and throw a temper tantrum. Yeah. Well, to me, like I said, I think it's it's always a fun kind of battle in psychology. We're talking about again. I'm a Wichita State alum and watching Greg Marshall and the Shockers in the in the Final Four, and I loved watching him when you know when the pressure was on, and I just and they would always show his kind of takes in the in the locker room and the speeches and what he was saying. And yeah, and I don't know why we think we have to do the rant and the raving. I don't know why we have to think we have to throw the chairs like Bobby Knight. I don't know why we have to you know you know and it, and it still exists. It kind of surprises me, you know. And that's where like the the Rutgers coach. I mean. That couldn't have been a surprise. Somebody knew how he was for years, right? I mean, why would that happen, do you think? Why does that still happen? Why do people still bring on people that, that act that way? Well, um, I think uh, that's a complicated question. Uh, there's several several things going on, I think. One is that um, the you know somebody once said that we, we live our lives according to long-dead economists. You know, um, that's the way coaching has been. Um, you know, Phil Jackson told me that he, uh, the uh, second game that he coached as an NBA head coach, he got kicked out of the game. And he was just, you know, vitriolic with his players. Um, and he realized eventually it wasn't working and he changed. And I, I did a lot of interviews around the, the Mike Rice Rutgers thing. And, and I said in many of them, I have, I have compassion for Mike Rice. I think he can't be a happy person coaching that way. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, uh, Phil Jackson and many other coaches I know evolved into positive coaches, and they were made more successful. Rutgers did not have a winning record, not even close. It wasn't working, even if you're just looking at the scoreboard. And so, you know, I, I kind of half jokingly say, uh, you know, one of one of my favorite coaches is is uh, Brad Stevens of Butler. Yeah, I was who's on positive coach positive coaching on national advisory board, and I said, only really half joking. If I were Mike Rice, I would call up Brad Stevens and say, hey. Uh, let me be, uh, let me work for you for free for a year. Let me be your volunteer assistant coach because I want to see how you get the best out of players, uh, by being positive. And I, I think, you know, clearly Shaka Smart at VCU and, and Brad Stevens, Lindsay Gottlieb, who I just mentioned, the Cal women's coach. These are the new breed of coaches and they're getting the best out of their players and they are positive, positive, positive. And that doesn't mean weak. But they're positive and intense, and the players would run through a wall for them. Yeah, it's funny that you brought those up because as we were early five minutes in the interview, I was writing things down. I was writing some notes. I wrote Shaka Smart, and I wrote Brad Stevens. I was going to ask you what you thought about him because you're right. To me, they are the, the – the, you know, and I asked earlier in the question, do you think we've digressed? To me, You know, to me, I think we've seen a positive shift, to be quite honest. I'm curious to see what you think about this. You know, it seemed like especially in the, the mid-'90s, the 90s, and looking at the pro basketball, there was such a kind of a negativity towards uh, sport. There seems to be, um, I don't know, this kind of – drive to what you're driving through in PCA, I'm starting to see that more and more. Um, I'm curious if you think it, yeah, what your thoughts are. No, I think, I think you're right. That's right. It's patchwork. Um, you know, we, we just launched our Cleveland office. We, we have offices now in, in uh, you know, 10, 10 cities. Um, and uh, a big part of the, of the seed funding we needed to go into Cleveland was provided by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Cleveland Indians. 
And uh, the leadership of those two pro teams, along with the DDR, which is the real estate company, uh, the leadership of those two, two pro teams, um, you know, Chris Grant, who is the general manager of the Cavaliers, and, and Mark Shapiro, who is the president of the Indians, um, they see that uh, things are not right in, in new sports, and they want to be part of the solution. And so they help bring Positive Coaching Alliance to Cleveland. Dave St. Peter, who is the president of the Minnesota Twins, is on our board. In Minnesota, we've got Lon Babby with the Suns and um, Derek, uh, Derek Hall with the Diamondbacks uh, on our board in Phoenix. So we're getting some traction with professional sports, and, and really we need to make a distinction. Professional sports is a business; it's about right. making money and enter- entertaining fans. Uh, and it's you know, you know, the best coaches at any level also builds up their players, but that's not what it's about. But youth sports. Is not a business. It's not entertainment. It's what we call a development zone. We, mm-hmm. we actually say high school and youth sports is a development zone. And what are we developing? We're developing better athletes, better people. So if you're coaching in high school or youth sports, um, and you're not developing better, better athletes and better people, then you, you, you know, either change or, or move on because this is a movement and, and we are gaining traction and the, the great thing about it is when you see a positive coach at any level and you see the, the way those kids or professional athletes respond to that positivity, um, you realize, wow, no wonder they're so good. We just, we just gave our Lifetime Achievement Award to Bill Jackson, who is our national spokesperson. And we had a tribute video that included Michael Jordan and, and uh, Scottie Pippen and Shaq Phil O'Neal and, and uh, Kobe Bryant and uh, Derek Fisher and Meta World Peace and, you know, all these guys, Paul Gasol, all these guys who are among the best players, some of, you know, maybe the best, very best players who ever played basketball. And they're talking about in this video that you can, you can actually see it, uh, on the Positive Coach Alliance website, www.positivecoach.org. They're talking about how Phil Jackson helped them as people as well as athletes. That's great. That's what I love about sports, and I love it when a coach gets it right and things like that happen. Those, those stories, you know, that the wooden and then hearing that about Phil Jackson, that's what makes it all worthwhile because – and that's what's so great about sports. I know I played, you know – you know, I even had a coach uh, – well, I, I was in rowing. I don't know if you know much – if you have any – much people to do with crew or rowing, but I had a, a coach in uh, college, and I never rowed before, and – in the two and a half years that I did that rowing, I, I swear he taught me more about teamwork and everything else than I learned in, in either previous sport. And I don't, I honestly don't think I would have gone to the Marine Corps and gone on to be a pilot and everything else if I hadn't had that coach and that impact from him. And, uh, I mean, so coaches can make a huge impact on people's lives. In fact, if you ask and I ask a lot of people who their heroes are, you know, the parents always come up, teachers always come up and coaches always come up. Those are the three. And, um, I don't know. I, I think you're doing, doing great work and, um, how can people support you? How can they, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about PCA until uh, I was, you know, drilling this way, but I mean, I love what you're doing and I'm looking at, you guys are doing real work. Do you got PCA chapters in every state? Oh, no, no, no. We're, we're a long way from that. Um, um, but we've been growing really rapidly. We, last year we opened a chapter in the San Francisco Bay Area, one in Colorado. Uh, in January of, of 2013, we opened one in Phoenix, and just a couple weeks ago in, in Cleveland, we'll be opening our Minnesota office uh, in June. So lots and lots of growth, and we're, we're looking to spread around the country. 
you know, people can help. Uh, one thing is go to our website, positivecoach.org. Um, if you're involved with a youth sports organization, tell, tell the leaders of that organization, hey, you know about Positive Coach Alliance? We have tons of free tools, tools for youth sports leaders, for coaches, parents, and athletes on our website. Um, we have these weekly talking points that you can sign up for. And, you know, we talked about having a teachable spirit or uh, filling your players' emotional tanks. And each week, a coach will get a set of talking points they can use with their players. Um, if, if uh, you know, if you are uh, the head of a youth sports organization, then call us up. Our, our phone number is on the website, again, positivecoach.org, uh, and talk about partnering. We do workshops for coaches, athletes, parents, and leaders to get them all on the same page. And we're always looking to work with more organizations. We've got live trainers all around the country. We we uh, come in and do live workshops. We also have online workshops. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of ways you can get involved. And uh, a big way is to tell everybody you know after you look at the website. If you go to our website and say, well, I don't really care what, what they're doing, uh, that's fine. There's lots of good causes in the world. But if you go to the website and say, wow, this is the way youth sports should be, then help spread the word. Tell people about Positive Coaching Alliance. That's how we, uh, that's how we, we expand and that's how we're going to change the world. Youth sports, high school and youth sports is a major institution in this country. And we're out to change a major institution and that doesn't come easy. That requires a movement. But I'll tell you, when we change youth sports, and we're going to, we've got a lot of momentum, when we change it, this whole country is going to change because that's how important sports is to this country. I love your passion. I love your vision. I love your positivity. I'm so happy that I got in touch with you, Jim, and I love what you're doing there. I'm going to do everything I can to support it and promote it on this end. Um, I hope my listeners will take take a look at what you're doing. I think you're doing real work, great work. It's a sign of a true leader. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, I've got a warm spot in my place for Kansas. I grew up in North Dakota. Uh, you know, the plains, uh, <laughs> It's always in your blood. I'm living in California now, but uh, the, the Great Plains is uh, always in your blood. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, stay on the line. I'm going to stop the recording. Stay on the line just a couple minutes, and we'll, we'll talk for a couple more seconds. But uh, thanks for coming on the show, Jim. You bet. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.